Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with atypical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries and develop your own brilliant projects. With our beautiful woven baskets, colorful chairs and benches, or exclusive printed clothing, the Swiss designer Catherine Eckhart mixes the craftsmanship of her adopted country, Ghana, with European taste and standards. Each woman is a queen there, you know, like she's yeah. dressing up and she's so proud. And they, on Sunday, when they go to church, they're wearing all the colors and all the jewelry and they love their bodies. And they just like to express themselves. Like they just like to show off and, and show, hey, I'm here and I'm this queen. So that was really inspiring for me. And I thought, okay, Switzerland needs that more. <laughs> We can really need a little bit of color and self-confidence and pride and celebration of life. In this interview, Catherine tells me what inspired her one day in 2015 to give up a career as a journalist and fashion designer and to settle in Ghana out of love. The Swiss woman looks back on her difficult beginnings in this faraway country and explains how she managed over time to integrate and understand the local rules and customs to finally become the entrepreneur she is today. Ghana has now become a second home. There, Catherine founded her design label, a studio and her network of artisans. I asked Catherine about her lifelong interest in fashion, but also about her career in media, especially at the famous HZZ Amsantag. We discuss the evolution of these two industries, and Catherine tells how the economic difficulties and a thirst for freedom and creativity pushed her on the path of entrepreneurship. I really wanted to have the freedom and I wanted to express myself fully because if you work in a company or that's how I experience this, you have always boundaries. So I also just wanted to feel free because I was quite critical, as you could hear before, against the media. The designer recounts her learning, but also her fears and difficulties. We talk about money and negotiation, as well as creativity, inspiration and freedom. Catherine opens her heart and allows us to be inspired by her sincerity, independence and strength. So don't miss a minute and enjoy this new episode of Brillante. Dear Catherine, thank you very much for receiving me in your atelier. I'm super happy to have you on Brillante. To start with, I wanted to know, could you describe me the place where we are now? Yes, of course. First of all, thank you for coming. It's so nice to meet you in person. I only knew you from uh, the podcast. So, yeah, we are here in our studio at Töpferstraße in Binz in Zurich. And, um, well, all our goods are here, all our baskets, all our clothes, all our new interior pieces that are already ready and for me it's always a place of um, inspiration and work and it's really my a bit my second home even though it's my workspace. Are you here for a long time? No actually not since one and a half years before I had the super cool studio in Seebach in an old mm -hmm. very very old building with huge windows it was beautiful but they broke it down or they want to break it down so I had to move out but that was even a more magic place for me because it was really unique like the ceiling was maybe five meters high or four meters high it was really a place where you can start dreaming and uh, be creative but this one looks a bit like a factory yeah and it used you, to be you wrote a lot of charm in it yeah. with all your furnitures it looks really nice yeah it's actually uh, used to be a pottery factory because in beans there was a lot of mud So there were a lot of companies who were working with mud and doing pottery and all of that. Uh -huh. So that's why also the name Töpferstraße uh, still describes it a bit. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. 
So to start with, I always have the same question to all of my guests. I would like to know what did you think when you heard this name, Brillante, for the first time? And do you have an example of a sparkling woman, someone that inspires you, that you would like to tell me about? Mm -hmm. So Brillante is for me is like a diamond, <laughs> a shining diamond. And I was always really um, attracted by jewelry and stones and I still am. And the uniqueness of this is for me, like each stone has their own way of shining and their own meaning and their own energy. So for me, it's really interesting, like, okay, what is brillant in which woman? And that also brings me to your second question, because I really think like each woman has a very special side and a very special shining center if she allows herself to really bring it out like unfortunately a lot of women don't know how to do that or don't have the self-confidence to do that but I don't have only one woman in mind I have actually like thousands in mind <laughs> and it goes from my grandmothers to my friends to my clients to uh, women I'm reading about so I would wish not to name only one Uh -huh. Because for me, it's really the sum of all of them that make it really brilliant or can really also change the world a bit. I like your answer. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you passed the test. Um, to understand a bit who you are and where do you come from, can you explain me where were you born and raised? What kind of childhood did you have? Mm -hmm. So I'm born and raised in Wassersdorf. It's um, a town next to Flughafen, like next to the airport. And of course, that was like normal for me. But um, I grew up with two brothers. So I have an older and a younger brother um, in a very lively house. So mm -hmm. it was always loud and uh, people and we were very active, like we were playing a lot and we had a lot of fight <laughs> and a lot yeah. of discussions. So mm -hmm. I'm coming from a family where opinion and um, arguments are very important and articulation and all of that. It's not really Swiss. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? Maybe I'm not. Like my mother was always really... Um, She was a feminist, she still is a feminist, and I guess that was also influencing us a lot. So to have a mother with so modern thoughts, and a father with actually supported her. So my father already was one day in the week at home and was cooking for us. So every Monday, I remember, he was in the house and my mother was working, and they took this decision really consciously because they thought they have to share the work from the family as well so yeah I would say I, I'm coming from a quite free mindset house actually mm -hmm. it was allowed like we could really express ourselves how we wanted like the, they were really strict but at the other hand they were also allowing us to really unfold who we are and you are quite a creative person well a really creative person do you think it comes from your also from your childhood from your family Or was no. it something inside of you? Yes, no, not at all. <laughs> like my family, my brothers, they um, both studied first nature science. Uh -huh. And now, like, funny enough, they changed into um, a very social profession. But before they were really uh, good in math and they are much more rational than me and also my mother and my father. So I think this creative field was more something really unique for me to express myself and to find my way there. But what was really nice, I never got stopped for it. You know, my mother always supported it. I remember when I was a small girl, I really expressed myself with changing my clothes three times a day and uh, always wearing weird colors and shapes. And she never told me like, no, you can't wear that. You know, she just let me be. So you started expressing your creativity through fashion. Yeah, yeah, I would say that, yeah. So it, it's something that's super important for you since the beginning. Because you actually started your career and your first work experience directly into the field, mm -hmm. working for the NZZ, which is the local newspaper, the renowned newspaper, mm -hmm. as a stylist and fashion editor. Was it an obvious choice for you? Well, I did not take the choice. <laughs> like life took the choice that I got that job <laughs> at NZZ am Sonntag. So... That's a bit also my life. Like I never really took my career choices. Uh -huh. They just came to me. 
which is a bit special. <laughs> like I realize now, maybe I should have taken these decisions more consciously, but I guess it's just also my personality to trying to stay open and see what's coming. So with this first job, what I did is I wrote a little fashion magazine for the Matura Arbeit. So this is the last mm -hmm. work you do in your high school. And this got read by this um, Sonntag journalist who needed an assistant. So he asked me actually if I want to work for them. So just with the like the baccalaureate, you yes. you got called by Sonntag. <laughs> That must have been a quite a good work that you did. Well, maybe, I guess. Like, it's also always good coincidences, you know, because yeah. I did an interview with a designer uh -huh. and she was actually the wife of this journalist. So I gave her a copy of my work as a thank you to her. And um, he read it then in the house <laughs> on, on the sofa and he liked it. So I guess it was just good luck as well, you know. Very nice. So you mm -hmm. entered the NZZM Sontag. You were really young. Mm -hmm. What were you doing there exactly? What does it mean to be a stylist and fashion editor in a newspaper? Well, first I was mostly researching and supporting that journalist in his daily business. So I had to research fashion stories like, okay, what is the new trend? I had to ask for pictures, prices. I had to come up with an idea how we can present these trends. And then it started that I could create whole fashion stories with models, the photographer, the location. So I put together the whole team, the theme, the clothes. Like now when I'm thinking back In this young age, the responsibility was really high and it was a bit crazy. Like I had to produce sometimes um, jewelry shootings with real jewelry, like stones, yeah, with crazy values. Yeah. Exactly. And that was all on my, my shoulder. And at the end, at the shooting, I also still had to be creative and put the right clothes with the right stone and the right model together. So... I don't know actually how I did it. I just, yeah, just did it somehow. And so that was one part of it. And the other part was also writing small texts. And um, I did that also while I was studying. And after my studies, after my bachelor degree, I worked for one whole year at Enstetem Sonntaggesellschaft, where I really started to learn how to write. Actually, you were working a few years and then you started your studies. And you've been studying social sciences and communications, right? Yeah, exactly. Why did you choose these studies? Was it to kind of get better in the field in which you were already? Or did you feel that you need actually this certification? What was it exactly? What did you want with these studies? Well, I have to say, actually, that was really the force of my mother, to be honest. Like she had always the idea as a woman that you have to study mm -hmm. because my career went well and I got also an offer from another newspaper, a really cool uh, offer to work for them quite in a young age. But I denied it because my mother said, you need to study. When I look back now, it's not true. Like I never, ever had to show my bachelor degree to anybody. So I'm not sure if it was really important to do that, but I really enjoyed to do that. Yeah. And I chose it because I was always interested in society. We are all part of society and the society shapes a lot of expression or you express something in society. And I think Still, till today, this is a really important uh, subject for me. And it has a lot to do with fashion and style and trends. Like, this is not separate. Yeah, I remember I also studied social sciences for my master's. And I remember reading, like, George Thimel about fashion. It was so interesting and inspiring. And mm -hmm. stuff I, that I wrote my thesis and thesis with his theory as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you would not actually come by coincidence to this theories without having a someone you know showing you this text I think mm -hmm, exactly and I remember even for um, my uh, matur arbeit I was reading George Simmel so I, yeah. I knew him since a very long time and it was always fascinating for me that communication is so much more than just the spoken word so that was also inspiring for me and what I learned a lot in these studies is um, to organized, to structure, to learn to read really difficult texts and get the important things out of it. 
and that is so helpful till now. So actually, yeah. I will. I have to thank my mother now that I that she pushed me to do it. Yeah, because you go through then challenges. Also, you know, you have like deadlines. You have to write stuff. You have indeed to to read difficult text mm. that you would not go through during your professional life. Actually, yeah, I think exactly. Yeah. And it's so much. It's also a luxury. I realize now you can take so many hours for these books of these sociologists who are like genius. And I remember myself, I was really in my mind then and really in my head. So I was, especially when it was like the going to the end of the bachelor, when you read a lot and I was really like, I felt like this genius, you know, like having these crazy ideas. And I was so in this world. And that was a super nice experience, actually. Do you think it brought also some kind of confidence to you? You know, many people actually are always waiting for more degrees, for more masters, bachelors or whatever, to kind of feel that they are allowed to do something. I think if then it was more subconscious, because as I told you, from my own motivation, I don't think I would have chosen to do the it. path. Yeah, I'm more the practical person. And then from the practical thing, I'm reflecting in theory, but... This was the other way around, that I had all this theory and then I went into the practical field. So I'm really happy that I did it, but that was never my motivation to have more self-confidence. I think my motivation was just to know more about the world and society. Which is enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you stayed in the field of fashion and medias mm -hmm. for more than 10 years, I think. Mm -hmm. First of all, what is it to be a good fashion journalist? Do you have an example of someone that you really admire in the field? Yeah, I have, but I forgot her name, of course. But like, I can tell you that what I really like in for good fashion journalism is if you make this connection of society and the fashion, so the outer look and of society. So if you can analyze the show of Prada and Louis Vuitton, finding connections and telling me why is now this piece of fashion important in our society or why is fashion expressing it like that right now. So, for example, I observe now that the fashion gets much more comfy and relaxed and chilled. And I think it has a lot to do that with COVID, you are a lot in the house and you don't shine so much outside again. And there is no, no big catwalk where you can show off or there is no going out where you can be glamorous. So stuff like this, I think is really interesting if you start to um, combine these two aspects. I understand. Mm. Was it a nice area to work in? Knowing the medias myself, it's not an easy world. It's quite difficult also, economically speaking. Have you seen the world of medias evolving? When you look back now that you are not really inside anymore? anymore yeah, I mean, I remember when I was young, then it was really fascinating for me, like to see all this glamour and we got a lot of invitation and we had a lot of events and it was fascinating for me. But you cannot compare it to now. I mean, it's almost 20 years ago, right? Like, no, like 15 years, 16 uh -huh. years when I started. So the media was still fine and the brand still had money to invite you for a weekend to Milan or to Paris for showing the later thing. And that I always thought it's fascinating, but I always had a little bit a problem with how these fashion people act. Like a lot of them are not authentic. It's a lot of show and not so much essence. Mm -hmm. And that is what I missed. And now, honestly, I think media got a bit boring or for me, like for me, it's not, I'm not interested in the latest news only. I'm interested in reflection of stuff. And I think if they would change that, like if they could make more essays about changes instead of just what is new or buy more, that will interest me much more. So I'm sometimes a bit bored about the media scene here. Mm -hmm. And it's also... A But do you think it's something from Switzerland or is it something in general? Well, I know best Switzerland, so it's yeah. hard for me to say. I mean, I remember also when I was a fashion journalist that I always looked at the newspapers and fashion journalists in the US. I think they're really good. Like... They have some very great characters who really produce interesting content. But 
for now, I'm not really interested in the media, to be honest, because you can get your news and what you're interested in other ways. So I think the media has really to learn a new way to gain more value anymore again, you know. So what are your new ways? I think you just, you much more have to create your own spirit as a media house. And this spirit should attract people and they want to follow you and read you because they like your spirit. But often now it's just they write about things because they get paid for another word. or And this is not really inspiring. I mean, mm -hmm. I just miss the inspiration. If you're not into media anymore, how do you get the news? How do you feel the trends? Yourself, how do you get inspired? Where do you find the inspiration then? Mm. Is it more social medias for you? Is it more... I think you have new I'm ways? just observing. I'm an observer. <laughs> so I can sit on a bench in Zurich or in Paris or in Italy and just watch the people. Mm -hmm. And then I get an idea and then I Google it and I get into it and I want to know more. But of course, like social media is also affecting me because I'm having my own account and I'm sharing things. So I also see the things that other people and the content of other people. But I think observation is the inspiration for me. And how would you describe your own style? My personal fashion style? Yeah. That is very difficult. <laughs> It always changes. I don't know. Like I, I like um, special fabrics and like the quality of fabrics. Mm -hmm. I also like a certain touch of glamour if it's uh, with jewelry or the cut. I like it feminine, but sometimes I'm really a tomboy. Like I have this Adidas pants <laughs> and sneakers and my big shirts from Burgunder Official, which is a Swiss brand and a friend of mine. So It really depends on my days. Like sometimes I feel super feminine and then I dress up in a beautiful skirt and a crop top. Or yeah, it's really expression of myself. But I think fabric and colors and the shapes are really important for me. Also from what we see from your uh, Instagram and stuff, we can see that you have sometimes your famous overalls. Sometimes you have a lot of jewelry sometimes, but always a lot of colors, right? Not always. Well, like, actually, today you don't show like this. Yeah, no, today I'm not so colorful. It also changed. Like, yeah. I know in summer I'm really attracted to colors and um, in winter as well, but more in one color. I don't know why. I'm not looking for so many patterns in winter. Uh -huh. um, I can really not tell. Like, I just like, I have to feel good in it. And what does it mean, fashion, for you? Expression. expression like yeah for me it's really a self-expression and the tool to make me feel good like each day how do I feel today okay what will serve me and my body to wear today to have a have a good day so I think it was 10 years ago you decided to leave this media companies where you were working for a few years already to start your own business and to become an entrepreneur mm -hmm. can you explain me what was your plan how did this happen Why did you choose to become self-employed at some point? Well, um, that was 2009. And it was because it was the first big media crisis. And at NZZ am Sonntag, they actually told me after my um, internship of NZZ am Sonntag Gesellschaft, I can stay 50%. But two weeks before that internship ended, they told me it's not possible mm -hmm. because of this media crisis. So they were not having the funds to actually keep me. And of course, first I was really disappointed and a bit angry. And I think this anger <laughs> really <laughs> helped me to just do my own thing. So I remember talking to Rafaela Pichler, where you were also interviewing. And she told me, like, why are you not just doing it yourself? Like, you don't need a company in your background to do what you want to do. So I decided to be a freelance journalist and stylist. And both, I had a lot of experience already because I worked for Anstetam Sonntag many years and I had good contacts from that time. And that was the reason I did that. So you decided like this just out of anger kind of to become your own boss. No, It was I, not something like at some point you, you felt like you needed to express your, yourself in your own way or it was not like a feeling yeah. that you had since a long time or... That was also a huge part of it. I mean, it, I took the decision also from the feeling of freedom. I really wanted to have the freedom and I wanted to express myself fully because if you work in a company or that's how I experience this, you have always boundaries. And I remember myself sitting there for weeks, coming up with 
um, themes to write about and they always said no 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 you know and I was like I can't believe that I mean it's it's something interesting and people will be interested in it but because of the agenda of the newspaper you couldn't do it or it was not interesting for their readers so I also just wanted to feel free and that was a huge motivation as well because I was quite critical as you could hear before against the media and against also NZZ am Sonntag because they have actually so such a big potential but they're using just a little bit of it like each company I guess <laughs> does that so it was really freeing for me as well to be a self-employer you've never been scared before of doing course. the step yeah of course I mean the, the first two years they were also super hard every month so I wasn't sure can I can I do it can I not do it like I had really to go out there I had to find also how do I feel comfortable in this field of being a, a self-employed and in this media field, in this glamorous fashion field? You know, it was really, I remember it as a very insecure time of my life and also a time where I learned a lot because I remember after these two years, I was really frustrated because I worked a lot, but I did not earn, earn en- enough money. Yes, so I realized, okay, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> so I decided only to accept paid jobs where you get a good salary. And I really... Um, Because in the beginning, you were doing any kind of job to maybe create your portfolio or to show that you were working with this and this client. Exactly. Or... And I mean, looking back now, that is bullshit. I really, sorry to use that strong word, but I have to tell that to every young person. Like, work should always be paid because you are actually creating something valued. So you should give back in some form, you should be paid. So, but then there was this time where they was like, yeah, you need more good credits and you, you can work with this famous photographer. Why are you not doing it? And you know, for me, I was always feeling like, eh, it doesn't really feel right for me, but somehow At this time, a lot of people did it. So I thought, okay, maybe I have to do it too. Actually, Rafaela Pichler was explaining me kind of the same, yes. explaining me that she was paid with products, for instance, and that at some point she was like, actually, it doesn't work out this way. I have yeah. to pay my bills and I have to pay for my place. And yeah, exactly. And now when I also look back, it's such a weird concept of this fashion scene like that, how should be a name so important? You know, there was like a time where they really created myths of people or of newspapers that it's actually not true. You know, it's just like, I give you something, you give me something. It's just a a normal deal. So then I realized that and I stopped doing that at all. And that was such an important experience for my life because I realized the value I'm giving myself, other people are giving me. You know, so as soon as I had a good salary per day, there was never ever a question to pay me that salary or not. I actually got more and more jobs and my career really went up. So you did this exercise of kind of trying to find a good value for yourself? Yes. And how did you do? Well, I knew my competence, like Uh I had a lot of experience and I, I know that when I'm accepting a job that I give my best. And I just told the people I can't work for less than that. That's it. Like, I think it's important that you give yourself also a number, you know, yeah. a daily income. This is your number. This is what you need to earn and to have your living. And this is your value. And that's it. And then I had also to learn to negotiate. I mean, I think a lot of, especially women are not doing that. And it's so important to negotiate. And also what is important is to not wanting the job too much. You know, like if you feel desperate and you really need the job, then you are willing to make compromises. But I told myself on one point, like, okay, if it's not this job, another one will come. And this is how it is as a self-employer. Like you always have jobs on one point again, you know, you just really have to train your faith as well, I guess, to and believe in yourself that something else will come. But of course, it wasn't easy. Did you go through very difficult times? During yeah, this, yeah, of course, like, yeah, always. Have you been helped? Have you been supported by your family, by your friends? How have they been helping you? 
Well, I'm lucky that I have a really good network of other uh, self-employed people uh-huh. and we exchanged a lot. We also support, still till to now, we support each other a lot, you know, like, okay, I think you can do it like this or this. And then we were discussing a lot, but my family, they often couldn't understand why I want it so badly and why I go through all the struggle. But I knew that there is something I can learn because mm-hmm. I think it's a lot about your own vision and the communication of your value, actually. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you get that, people perceive you in another way, you know? Oh, that's how it was for me. And I mean, working for yourself definitely brings something else to your daily work. Mm -hmm. You really have, I think, a motivation or, I don't know, it makes you feel happy to work for yourself, for your own project, in your own way, and that it works, I guess. This is really rewarding. Mm -hmm. I mean... It also depends on your personality. I was never a fan of hierarchy, for example. So I have had always a little bit problem with my teacher (laughs) and my bosses and stuff because I just thought this is not how I want to do it, but I have to do it. So there was a conflict. So for me, I think my personality, it really serves me that I'm a self-employed. And in the beginning, you were self-employed and working for the medias. You developed... I think more in advertisements and mm-hmm. are you still working like this as a fashion no. editor? No, you no. stopped this part. Yeah, I stopped. And the reason why I got more into advertisements is the money. Like you get the double of the daily salary if you work for Ikea or Nike <laughs> than if you write a text for NCZ. I mean, NCZ even had a lower budget because they have this reputation. So the whole system didn't work for me because I really wanted to also earn money to feel free and have my own projects as well on the side. That's why I worked a lot for advertisement at the end. But that created another conflict because the way of working in advertisement got less and less creative. So Mm -hmm. I was more and more just a servant. Yeah, servant. Like I just had to organize what they want on the picture. And then the shooting for me, was not a creative process. It was more like it's, it was about egos and opinions and not to make the best out of it. So I also did not completely feel comfortable in that field. So in 2015, you decided to try something else, mm-hmm. something new, and you followed your ex-boyfriend to Ghana. Mm-hmm. Can you explain me a bit what happened then? What brought you there exactly? That was pure inspiration. Like when he told me that he wants to go to Ghana, we met maybe for a month or something. And then I was like, okay, if if we have still a nice relationship, I will just come with you. And I remember myself saying that and having this feeling inside in my chest, in my heart, that this is just the way I, I, I have to take. Like I was so fascinated by this idea, a complete change. So I somehow knew inside that there is something for me. And again, I just had to surrender and trust my feelings. Yeah, I didn't know what, what will come. It was the first time that you were moving abroad, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean... First time in the continent of Africa, actually. West Africa. I was never in West Africa before. And I mean, it's not an easy <laughs> move. You are here in Switzerland in the clean, protected, rich and safe country. And you move to Africa like mm-hmm. this without knowing what you were expecting, I guess. What was your first impression there? And how was well, it? I was absolutely overwhelmed. And how was it to settle there? You know, how did you do to feel kind of home there? It was really difficult. Like that was one of my biggest life thoughts <laughs> that I, I got, you know, like I really had to learn a lot and go through very dark phases of my life. I think the moving to Ghana shaped me the most till now and changed me the most but without it I wouldn't be where I am today Mm -hmm. so when I arrived in Ghana I could not imagine how it is so there are a lot of poor people when I arrived there there was no google maps so I couldn't just freely move around and I was such an independent woman I had to learn the whole system the society how they talk with each other the English is also different you know like they have a Guinean English and accent exactly and at the beginning my English wasn't good anyway and I remember sometimes I could just not understand what they were talking so that also meant I could not express myself who I really was so actually it was kind of losing identity 
Was your plan to stay there for a long time or were you more, I give it a try and if it doesn't work out, I come back to Switzerland? That was always an option. And I had also like one very big client in Zurich where I still used to work as a stylist and that gave me the safety that I have enough money in Ghana. But that was never really what I wanted. Like I wanted to make it work. You know, if I start something, I want to make it work. <laughs> so I just had to find my way there. And what I did is like I learned step by step all the new rules. I was like a little child who has to learn how to walk on the street how to eat the food <laughs> and like of course. everything it was to really... understand the rules to understand where you kind of are allowed to go or safe to go or exactly and also making friends yeah exactly not so easy yeah yeah in a new country exactly but then somehow i just i just did it like i remember myself um i tried to give me tasks for days and if it was only the task to go to the market alone <laughs> or to take the taxi to a certain place alone and like step by step I got into society like that now when I think back I cannot imagine like now it's so normal for me you know there like it's really my second nature <laughs> that I can live there so how long did you stay there like full two years uh -huh. I was uh, there a lot and then 2000, well, I went there 2015, 2017, I separated from my ex-boyfriend. So then I had to think about it all over again, because of course the relationship was a, a motivation to stay in the country. And after the relationship, it was really what I built was the motivation to stay there because I set up all these workshops and I had this vision. So I did not want to give it up. But 2017, I remember, I really reflected on all of that. Like, how can I do it? And then I decided to continue to still uh, live in Ghana for some months. But of course, I spent more time in Switzerland again. But I would say I spent maybe five months a year in Ghana and the rest. And this is still the case today when yeah, COVID wants it. Yeah, exactly. Now that is the problem. I would wish that. Like, I would even love to have it 50-50, like six months here, six months there. But somehow everything is a bit changing at the moment. So let's see. If I may, the way you were moving to Ghana was because you were following your, your boyfriend. And uh, now you are with a new boyfriend, well, husband from, from Ghana also, I think. He's from Nigeria. From Nigeria. Mm -hmm. But still, these international couples, it's always a question, where do you live and how do you choose the place where you live? Mm -hmm. How was it for you? Well, it's anyway a very special story because Sami, my husband of today, <laughs> he uh, was my best friend in Ghana. And he was actually the one who really helped me to get into society, gave me this safe feeling in a country where I was a stranger. Yeah. So... um. From this beautiful friendship, it became a relationship after I got separated from my ex-boyfriend. And um, Sami and me, we have like our own country. Like we don't identify so much with a place. So we don't identify with Switzerland or Ghana or Nigeria. For more for us, I hope I can say that, but um, I think he feels the same way. Or we also said that that... The two of us, we have like our planet <laughs> and this planet can be everywhere. So if he would not feel comfortable in Switzerland on one point, we will move somewhere else. So for us, our connection, that is the most important and the country is not so important. But of course, while you're living in a certain country, you have to feel good in it. And we have to work on that he feels good here and I have to feel good in Ghana. But uh, we can support each other in a really nice way, I think. Yeah, because you have to combine work, you have to combine friends, family, and uh, just feeling home. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's quite a challenge for myself already between France and Switzerland. It's something so between Africa yeah, and Europe must be quite a challenge on yeah, the daily life. I mean, maybe what uh, is a bit different if you're coming from two European countries like our network in Ghana is not so big and his family lives in Nigeria. So if we are in Ghana, I can really concentrate on my work and I have one or two friends, but it's not like I have a huge social network. 
and that already creates a little bit more quietness. But yes, I think it's just important as a binational couple that you more find your own world and you live your own world no matter where you are. Because if we want to create in Switzerland a West African surrounding, that will be very difficult and the other way around too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you are talking about the work you've been creating in, in Ghana. Can you explain me? You created your own label there. Mm -hmm. Can you explain me? How did it go? What was your first idea? And how did you make it grow? Well, as I told you, I was really overwhelmed when I came first and I thought I might be a teacher or work for an NGO or like doing something completely different because I was also a bit fed up with the fashion scene. And then I was observing again <laughs> and just seeing all these beautiful baskets around me and especially the fabrics, like they're so colorful and bright and Also, the Guinean women were very inspiring for me. Like, each woman is a queen there, you know? Like, she's yeah. dressing up, and she's so proud. And they, on Sunday, when they go to church, they're wearing all the colors and all the jewelry, and they love their bodies. It's in a beautiful way, you know? Like, they're not so self-conscious, and they just like to express themselves. Like, they just like to show off and, and show, hey, I'm here, and I'm this queen. So that was really inspiring for me, and I thought, okay, Switzerland needs that more. <laughs> like we can really need This a little is bit. Not in our culture. Yes, yeah, we can really need a little bit of color and self-confidence and pride and celebration of life. So I remember this feeling was really what inspired me in the beginning, and I wanted to bring it here. And then in the second step, when I got more into the culture, I realized that they have all these beautiful goods, but the economy is actually not working well there. Like there is a lot of poverty. So I thought, okay, it has to be possible to produce products with a meaning and an impact. Then I came to the solution. Well, the easiest way is that you just create jobs and you create fair payment and good work environment. So that's what I did. So your idea was, okay, I'm going to create a label doing these baskets, this uh, fashion collection. What did you have in mind? What, was it already to create all this in Ghana and then come back to Switzerland and sell it in Switzerland? What was your plan? Well, again, I was not having so much a plan. Like I remember first I only brought five baskets and I just bought them from the market and I resell them here. And the same with fabric. I bought Guinean fabric, handmade Guinean fabric, because a lot of fabric is actually imported from China. And I did not want to, to take that one. So I took the batik that were produced in Accra. Um, and then I just checked the market. I sold it um, at my friend's office, Burning Light, and we were like seeing, okay, how does it work? She was actually really encouraging me to bring some products to see how it could work. So I realized more and more like everything in my life is just a flow, flowing process, you know, it's like I never have a target and, and I go there. Of course, there's step-by-step -step targets, but that was the beginning And then I've seen like, okay, that's a success. Like people, they like the stuff. So what can I do next? So what I did is I took all the fabrics that I did not sell and I produced wrap skirts out of them. And that was a huge success. Like I remember I came and they were all gone in a weekend. And for the baskets, I realized, okay, the colors are too bright for the Swiss market, for the European market. But what if we create our own shapes, our own colors, our own patterns? What will happen then? So then... I think the curiosity was really awakened and I wanted to try out all that stuff. Like I had the materials and now I could start working in this field, you know, and that was very interesting, like seeing my aesthetics combined with their craftsmanship and what is possible if we combine the two ideas. How would you describe your own style, this, this mix of your aesthetics, as you say, with the craftsmanship? I think there is always something timeless and um, in fashion they, I have a lot of symbols because I want to give a message <laughs> and for the baskets I think it's really timeless and it's more about shape and form that is really important for me. And how was it for you to settle your business in Ghana, you know, to learn how to, to deal with the people working there, to set up your prices, to know what is a fair salary? and to make sure that you buy the products at the right price. How was it for you? Was mm. it easy? No, I mean, that also, I talked a lot to different people, especially Ghanaians, especially to artisans and craftsmen, and 
you start to become a feeling for it. And the more I was integrated in the culture, the, the more they treated me like I was one of them. So I remember first I was just a white woman, which they call Obruni, the white rich woman. But the more and more I learned how they communicate, they took me more and more serious and they gave me the prices they will give to their people as well, you know, or more or less the prices. I was also always having the idea like I can pay more. But I want to have the best quality. And that is something difficult in Ghana. Like, they don't see quality as we see it. For instance, um, as long as the dress looks good from the outside, the quality is great. But a Swiss person takes a, a garment and looks inside how it's sewn. You know, like, all that things, we had to communicate a lot. The details are super important for us. and Yeah, yeah I mean, still, this is a huge point of my work and it's still not understood because we are different our culture is different so you can just always say it again and try again and um, also accept their way of doing things because I'm not coming and telling them they have to change their world you know but I heard you saying that you were quite bossy there yeah <laughs> not at the moment I think I'm fine but that's also part of it I mean Guinean women are really strong women And if you don't appear strong, yeah. they don't take you serious. Like, it's somehow part of culture, of the way of communication. And it's also not dramatic, like here, you know. Mm -hmm. You can have, like, a fight with a weaver. And 10 minutes later, you're sitting together and love together. All of it is much more playful, not so serious, you know. If you have a fight, you don't hurt the heart of the other one. You just tell him, hey... <laughs> this is not okay. And then he tells you, but this is the way how I'm doing it. And then the conflict appears and 10 minutes later, it's over again. So really the communication is like 100% different than here. And you learn this now, you feel completely at home there. I do. I mean, I love it. Like the communication, how they do it with this humor and also this, is it serious or not serious? Like it's very playful and I love that. Like it's really funny for me. So when you come back here, you have to adapt again? Yes. Or <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah. yeah, it's always like when I'm going there, I have to adapt there. When I'm coming back, I have to adapt here. But more and more, these two parts is what is me. So it's not one or the other. It's just I always describe it or I feel it like this, that like there are different vibrations or let's say it's a different color. So you move in the yellow color in Ghana and in Switzerland you move into the green shape colors. So it's just different colors, different settings, but it's always me. But how you express things is a bit different and how the rules are, it's different. How did you do to adapt Because, of course, you have to adapt the collections that you are creating. And especially in fashion, I think, you explain for the colors, for the baskets, but in fashion also, I guess you need to adapt the shapes and uh, mm -hmm. the colors and stuff to our to our skins and also to our just habits. Mm -hmm. How do you do to adapt like this? Uh, again, it's all about the communication. I mean, I I communicate with all my artisans, like... Everybody who works for me, I know every hand who works for me. So I go personally to them. I explain them. I show them my skin. I show colors that are good with my skin. I show them shapes that are good for me. I explain them that we have different body types. So the patterns have the measurements of European yeah. women and not of African women. I mean, all of that, of course, I had to learn it first. And they also had to learn that it's different, you know. So... For me, a lot of my work is also translating culture. Exactly. So they are translating to me their culture and I translate them my culture. And often, for instance, with the fabric colors, we had a lot of problems at the beginning because these bright colors just don't look good on us. You know, like this very sunny yellow often doesn't look good on us. So I just explain them and they explain me. And then somehow we find a middle ground. Like it's a lot of try and error as well. And now, how are you working exactly? Are you doing collections every year? Do you have uh, two, three, four collections for every season? Or how, how does it work? Well, uh, I used to do two, like one for summer and one for winter. But also this changes a bit. So what I'm doing now is always bringing up new additions. Mm -hmm. So it has also a lot to do with the travel restrictions at the moment and not being able in Ghana so often. So... Like, that's something important, too. I realized 
to have a certain date and the deadline is very difficult with the yes. Guinean structure and system. Because, you know, what we also don't know here, there are a lot of problems there. Like they don't always have water. They don't always have electricity. <laughs> they don't always have transport system. They don't always have money. So all of that, of course, is affecting my production. So I don't want to push so much pressure on them. So mm -hmm. I just create pieces and when they're ready, I'm dropping them. Like I'm going out with them. I guess it's also very freeing, this way of proposing. It's much better for me. Yeah. Before, the pressure was so much for everybody, for me and for them. And of course, I still have to push because I have a goal and I want to reach it. But I also have to stay very flexible and open because that system just does not allow a production in the way that I thought it has to be possible. Actually, it goes in the direction of many other fashion brands that are not really following the fashion shows, for instance, anymore. More mm. and more, I think fashion is getting more free in this. I, I think know. just the fashion also realizes that they, it was an old system that doesn't really make sense. Yes. I mean, that is one thing. Second, I think they realize it can also be slower and still very good. It and goes also with a new way of shopping. We don't want to just overconsume. Exactly. We want to be more careful about the environment and how it is produced and having better quality and... Exactly. And another very important point is maybe why I'm not so depending on seasons that I don't see myself as a fashion designer. I just produce clothes that should make you feel good. But I don't connect so much to trends. It's more a spirit that we spread through our clothes or a feeling, I would say. Mm -hmm. And that is also something that is different to brands like this big fashion brands like Prada or Marnie or whatever, you know, like uh, we have another angle or another perspective. Where do you sell your products here in Switzerland and how do you do? Well, it's mostly um, through me because yeah. um, I lose a lot of money if I give it to other people. So what we are now, our workshop is ready to produce baskets also for other shops, but then I prefer to make a special collection for the shop that is only available Emperor. in that certain shop because I think it's cool if we produce as many unique pieces as possible so we don't concurrence each other. So this is one idea. Second, the standard of how the clothes are done for a long time we could not produce for other people because we did not know how long does it take is the quality good enough like now we are on a level where we could actually do that but again it's a lot of work like in Ghana everything is really complicated so financially or business-wise it doesn't really make make sense because I would have I mean I must sell a jumpsuit for much more you know so your aim is not necessarily to scale up and to no You rather stay in, in the way you are now? Well, you are already quite known, at least in Zurich, but yeah. you don't necessarily want to expand to new shops and new countries or... Well, what I would like is like new countries would be cool and then uh, to make baskets for them. For the clothes, as I said, it's a bit difficult. I think the, the clothes, they're staying really a niche product. Yeah. But I also realized like what is inspiring so much is the contact with my clients. And if you just grow, you don't have this contact anymore. Like I will maybe give my products to some shops, but I don't know who is buying it. How do they feel in it? What is the response? Uh, you know, I don't see the effect. And that is important for me to have this close relationship. And this is also um, my payment, you know. This is part of the payment I get. It's not only the money that I'm taking out of it is also this energy that I, that I get back from the clients. So I don't know if I want to grow. I think I just want to have enough and that everything flows and that the people who are working for me, that they have enough and to, to stay creative and make cool projects. Well, actually, how, how do you make sure that you stay creative? I need a lot of uh, resting time. <laughs> More and more, I realize, like, travels are really important for me, mm -hmm. that I can have a complete different setting, because then I'm out of my daily life and I, I see things different. Nature is really important for me. Um, 
like reading stuff that I'm interested in. I do a lot of meditation and yoga and sport, just like also to get all this tension out of my body, you know, like. So having a good work-life balance. This is really important for me, yeah. Because I used to work a lot and I was really occupied by work and it doesn't work for me anymore. When I was younger, I, I liked it, but I really realized like in these resting times, then a lot can appear that actually makes you creative and stay energetic. So I think to sustain all of this, like my health is one of the most important things and to take care of myself, which is not always easy because you also have the pressure, right? And you, yeah. you also know, okay, I should do this and I should do that. And that was actually my goal. And now again, with COVID having maybe the second or already having the second wave, maybe everything is uncertain. So how can you allow yourself, giving yourself time and rest and inspiring yourself, you know? But I realized in my life exactly at that point when I'm the most stressed, I have to let it go and really rest and do something completely else. Are you really stressed with this second wave of COVID? I don't know. I just have the feeling that the world is burning at the moment and the whole world is out of control. But we will still sustain in this, you know, it's not that dramatic how I say it, but I don't know if it's COVID or political things like today's the election in the US. And honestly, I'm a bit scared of what's going on in the US. And it's just the world is such in a shaky place at the moment that sometimes I'm, I'm worried about it. Like, where is our future? Where are we going? And COVID is just one part of all of this that now changes, you know. This uncertainty is quite huge. Is it going to impact your business a lot? I think if there is a second wave, it will impact it because people, like, they will go back to their house. They will all be a little bit shocked. They all need time again to stand up again. You know, like, you will feel it. But um, luckily, we survived the first time. So I'm sure we will survive the second time. And I have a huge client now. I could produce a lot of baskets which gives me a little bit of safety in the background. So it will work out fine. But what I'm scared is that I will not see my clients for a long time and not having this personal exchange, which I already missed a lot. Yeah, it's a bit sad, but I guess it will change again and then we can do that again. You are now developing quite a lot of furniture for the home. Mm -hmm. Is it also in relation to COVID? Yes. Was it an idea like we need to feel good at home? Yeah, absolutely. Like... As I said before, like our brand is not about what is trend, it's more about what do people need at a certain moment. And I felt like if you cannot wear all these beautiful things for outside and going out, then you should feel the most comfortable inside in your house. And how can we bring the spirit of our brand into the house? And that's actually with furniture. So this was a, a huge motivation. But beside that, I always loved interior a lot. So it was also a cool challenge for myself to go a, a step further. They are really nice, your chairs and, and benches. Thank and, you. <laughs> yeah, they are really nice. So we are coming to an end of the interview, mm -hmm. but I always like to know to what extent has the network been helping you and especially the feminine network? Like, do you believe in the concept of sorority? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like also my clients are maybe 95% are women. Uh -huh. And they're really loyal and supportive. And we have such an honest relationship to each other. And also all my friends who are self-employed, they're all women. So I'm really having this net of great women around me, supporting me and I'm supporting them. And I really think together you are stronger and problems become smaller. I mean, yes, I believe in this 100%. Also in Ghana? You have no. your network of, no? <laughs> in Ghana, it's completely different. Like in Ghana, you, you don't have this loyalty and trust as I experience it here in, in Switzerland. I don't have that there, actually. I'm really um, just concentrated by myself. I have one great assistant now, and she's also a woman. She's from Spain, and with her, I have that too. But it took me like five years to find somebody like that, you know. 
So this is is very Do different. Do you think it's because you're a foreigner, or is it because it's like this that it works there? I think they they are different with each other, and also because I'm a foreigner, of course, because I know that Ghanaian women in the family support each other a lot, uh-huh. and also friends. But at the same time, they never that reliable as Swiss people, or I did not experience that so far. Maybe I should say like that. But it's also because I'm not always living there, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to Being say. Being part-time somewhere is not so easy, maybe. Yeah. yeah. We are coming to the final questions. Do you have an exciting project that you would like to talk about? Well, that's very new on our website. We have this vintage archive shop. Yeah, I saw this. And there we are selling products that are not 100% perfect or they have little uh, scratches or old collection things and I really like this new shop because it gives us the possibility not to waste things not to get more and more dead material and also to give it to people who actually don't have so much money to get a piece from our brand so for me that is really something at the moment I like you know in between I always take the pictures for this vintage archive shop and then I find this one piece that I completely forgot (laughs) somewhere and it's really cool to make these pieces accessible for everybody and it makes a lot of sense from a perspective of sustainability for me as well so this is one that I really like it comes to my mind I saw that you were also sharing someone was was selling as a second hand some of your overalls on Instagram and you were sharing it yeah exactly for, and I thought it was really nice of you actually to share the the second hand market of your brand I think yeah. it's, it's quite cool for me this is is so nice you know because you get that fashion is actually more than just the season you know and that's why I was like oh that's cool I, it's actually my spirit to do to share it yeah how would you define success for you hmm, I got this question just a week ago as well so I had to think about it a lot <laughs> because uh, there are so many different aspects of it so for me personally is to live an inspiring life and to inspire other people and get inspired Mm-hmm. But also the monetary aspect of it is important for me because that is also part of our life that we earn enough to have a fulfilled life. So I realized that some acknowledgement from the outside is also important for me to sustain and also to keep on going that you see that the outer world sees it and likes it and wants to know more about it. And what is one of the best ways to get the acknowledgement that you're speaking about? Well, a day like this today with you, like this Uh is so beautiful for me, you know. I also realized like I have all this experience from Ghana, but I'm not often can share it. But all of this is part of the product and of our story. So I love to give interviews and to talk to my clients and yeah, just to share your story. To share it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very nice. How do you feed yourself intellectually do you have a book or something that you would like to share that has been inspiring you especially okay recently i'm really interested in this ancient science of egyptology okay and i love it like since i'm a child but now it came back it's interesting so (laughs) the symbols of it and i watched this cool documentary about it about all these tombs and graves and statues and mummies and all of that i think it's super interesting so then i i once watched a documentary and then I got really like inspired so I start googling and reading and then I download papers and books and all of it like watch other series about it or other documentaries about it great <laughs> if you were a man for 24 hours what would you do <laughs> I will have sex with a woman it's cool that you asked me that I was like will she ask me that as well I, I'm so curious how that will feel to have sex <laughs> You're the with first a penis actually you know Yeah, you are the first one to answer like this, but I was expecting this one at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is, uh, I will be very curious how how that will feel as a man. What are you proud of? I think I'm proud of that I start more and more trusting my feeling and following my heart, even though a lot of people can't understand it or think, what is she doing now? (laughs) Like to really going in an authentic way. I'm proud. I think that changed a lot. I, if I look back to 20 years ago. Do you feel criticized 
If you say people don't understand your way. No, not criticize, but um, criticism is for me something else than not being understood. Like, for instance, my family, they couldn't understand why I'm a self-employer or why I'm going to Ghana. It was a huge topic. And I did it anyway. And I'm really proud of that. You know, it could also have been that I would be insecure and say, okay, well, it's true. Maybe I shouldn't do that, you know. So that's more what I meant. I understand. And who would you like to listen to in this podcast? Hmm, so many. No, this time you have to choose I one. I have to say one. Well, who I think is really uh, interesting is the owner of the Hammam Bazaar. She is really an interesting woman. Like she has also been all over the world and set up this beautiful hammam in Seefeld. Uh -huh. Yeah, she would be one. And she's also a little bit older. And I think it would also be interesting, or I want to hear more women who have been in the business for a long time, you know, and what they learned. That would be really interesting for me. Very nice. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you Thanks, so much. Joaquin. It was really interesting. That's it. Our episode is over. You, who listened to the whole episode, thank you very much. And if you liked it, don't hesitate to subscribe to my podcast, leave a nice comment, five stars on Apple Podcasts, and share it with at least two people around you. This help is really precious. And don't forget, as Catherine says, to allow yourself to shine. À bientôt sur Brillante.